Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. If you're listening with us for the first time today, a special welcome to you. We are in a worksheet which is uh, downloadable from this radio station's website and it's entitled Important Prophecy Terms and it contains a lot of scripture. And these are the scriptures, um, every one that I use is listed in here. And we are looking at seven sets of terms that we are contrasting to give us a better understanding of the scriptures before we get into the uh, 30 prophetic terms that are yet to take place according to God's word as I understand it. And we are in the third set of terms where we are contrasting the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. Of course, the gospel of the kingdom is what Jesus preached when he came to the earth 2,000 years ago, as had been prophesied and promised all through the Old Testament. He was coming as the king to set up the kingdom there on the earth at that time. And we've spent a, a number of programs going over the background of the gospel of the kingdom from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And in our last program, we kind of set the stage for the sending out of the 12 apostles. Up until now, Jesus has been teaching the gospel of the kingdom himself to the Israelites and has been, a, lack of a better term, an itinerant pastor, uh, walking around the countryside, mostly up in Judea, actually sometimes actually going all the way up into Lebanon and so forth, teaching the people. And we're, we learn from the scriptures that they came from Lebanon, from Syria, from what we would call modern-day Jordan, all coming in because they heard that there was a miracle worker named Jesus that was healing the people and feeding thousands of people from literally nothing, from a, a basket of bread and fish. He could feed thousands and thousands of people. And uh, just as importantly, he was healing the lame and the sick and so forth. And all of this was preliminary to him preaching the gospel, the good news. He was attracting the people through miracles to him so that he could speak the gospel to them. That was the purpose of the miracles. And in our last program, we went back to the uh, blessings in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the fifth book that Moses wrote. And this is that great chapter 28 that gives all of the blessings and all of the curses that Israel would entertain based on whether or not they obeyed God's word. That's all it amounted to was obeying God's word and his statutes and his ordinances. Because this was a theocracy. This was a government with God as its head. And he was just simply laying out all that would happen depending on how they reacted to his gracious offer. And what we did is went through the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 and simply laid out the blessings. If they would simply follow his commands, he would bless them in an earthly way. And that was the point we emphasized. 
all of the blessings that we saw that would be prom- that were promised and actually will be fulfilled. We need to make that point clear because when the Israelites turned their back on God and on Jesus, he did not turn his back totally on them. He merely postponed his blessings until such time as Israel would come to him on their knees, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, of course, we know that won't happen until the end of that terrible seven-year tribulation. But they will come, and these blessings will be manifested. They will the, the promises will be fulfilled to Israel, contrary to what's being taught in a lot of churches today. They say that those blessings are all to the church. And that is a just a very, very unfortunate misinterpretation, misapplication of the Scriptures. And, and I pray that you've been seeing this as we've spent so much time in these Scriptures to make the point of the very, very clear distinction between God's working with Israel and God's working with the church during the time of the church. Remember, Israel was before the church, and Israel will be after the church. Israel is four-fifths of the Bible. So uh, it's very clear that we need to to understand God's perspective. So we did that to show the earthly perspective, and the point I was making was that the promises were very material, very material. And then we went from Deuteronomy 28 back to Matthew 5, where we've been for a little while, off and on, because this is the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and this is where he lays out the program for the kingdom but his emphasis is not so much on the blessing of the land and the blessing of the womb and the blessing of rain from heaven and so forth, and it's more, I think, clearly directed to the individual and, and who they are and what their walk in the world should be. It's a, it's a heavy emphasis on morality, on ethics, and, and righteousness. And we did that by reading the first um, 10 verses of Matthew 5, uh, where he lays out, blessed are the humble and blessed are the righteous, blessed are the peacemakers, and so forth. And then we went to verse 11, and it made the point that if you do this, Israelites, you will be persecuted because most of your family, most of your friends, your acquaintances, will not accept me, and that's just the nature of the kingdom. These people will be the rebels, and I will send these rebels to hell. When I prepare my kingdom, they will not be allowed to come into the kingdom, but you will. But in the meantime, you're going to be persecuted for your belief in me, for your righteousness. And this is something that was not really clear necessarily in the Old Testament, and what was clear in the Old Testament about it was clouded, to use a $10 word, obfuscated by the priests and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. They were all saying, this man, you know, when he comes, and they didn't believe it was Jesus, when this Messiah comes, he is going to be the the conquering king, and he's going to take care of these Romans and send them to hell, they hope, and that he's going to make us once again as great as David and Solomon were, and our kingdom will be as big as it ever was and probably bigger. And we're going to be the preeminent people on the earth. But they had no concept. They weren't taught by and large. Remember, there's always a remnant of righteous Jews, but the majority, the vast majority of the Jews were not thinking, hey, 
I've got to clean my life up. I've got to be righteous. I've got to follow the commandments of God. Unlike, unlike my ancestors for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before me who defied God and almost on a regular basis seemed to refuse to follow his commands. I have to do that now in order to enter the kingdom. So you can see the difficulty that uh, Jesus was experiencing with getting this gospel out to the people. They were they were hearing something that one they weren't they hadn't heard before, and two they didn't necessarily care for. And again, these are my words, and I hope I'm not doing an injustice to the word here. But I, that's the impression that I'm getting here, as I understand the flow of the scripture. That this is not what they were looking for. They were looking for a macho man to come in and and make them number one in the world, but not somebody to come in and tell them they had to be righteous and humble and so forth and contrite. So Jesus has now turned when he, from the time he gave the sermon on the Mount, as we go through that ended in chapter seven of Matthew. And we're, we're focusing in the book of Matthew, recognizing that it's also covered in other gospels, but we're focusing on Matthew because Matthew was so, so Jewish. He, he, all he wanted to talk about was the coming kingdom and, and appropriately so. So that's why I spend my time in Matthew. And he has come to the point after he finishes the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, starting in chapter 8, 9, basically 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, there is a growing dislike for Jesus, a growing hatred for Jesus among the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the elders of Israel, because they were seeing that, hey, this guy could very well be him, and we need, excuse me, we need to get rid of him because he is a threat to our authority, and we don't recognize him as the king. So right in the middle of this, and this is Matthew 10, so if you'd turn to Matthew 10 in your Bible, we were in Matthew 10 at the end of our teaching portion in our last program in verse 1, and we basically had set the stage that Jesus had taken from among his disciples who are students, he had taken 12 that he was now going to elevate to the position of messenger. They were going to take what they were learning from Jesus and they were going to take it themselves without the teacher being with them. They were going to take it out to Israel. And they were then called apostles, which means messenger. And what they were told, he gave them authority, first of all, in chapter 10, verse 1, authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So this is setting the stage. He's giving them the ability that he had to draw people. So all verse 1 is talking about is here are the tools to draw people. It has nothing to do with the gospel itself. It's simply I'm giving you the ability to do things that people will immediately be attracted to because it involves them and their needs, their needs to eat, their needs to be healed of their diseases, their needs to be healed of the, of the evil spirits. So he's giving these apostles the ability to do that. So now, having set that as a stage, uh, an introduction, let's now stay in Matthew chapter 10 and let's go to the next set of scriptures I'd like you to look at and that's verses 5 through 8. 2 through 4, he's named the apostles. Starting in verse 5, we get the instructions. These 12 
Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. And you immediately think, whoa, that's pretty narrow. Well, it's, it's very narrow and it's very narrow for a reason. All through the Old Testament, this promise was to Israel and Israel was to be established as the preeminent people who believed in God, who walked and practiced righteousness. And they then, after that was established, would take this good news of the kingdom to the rest of the world, to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles here are separated out. Uh, There's a subgroup called the Samaritans, and this, of course, comes from the, the name Samaria. And this all occurred when the Assyrians back in the 750s, 740s B.C., started coming down from what is modern-day Iraq um, through Jordan, through Syria, into northern Israel, and started attacking the people. And God did this. God used the Assyrians as his instrument of punishment because when the kingdom split at the point of Solomon, when Solomon died, and that would have been around nine, roughly 930 B.C., that the kingdom was split in two, ten northern tribes and two southern tribes. And the two southern tribes kept the bloodline. The ten northern tribes completely left uh, Judaism and went into idol worship. And there were 20 kings that ruled the northern kingdom before it was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And every single one of those 20 kings was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Not a single good one, because they they not only um, preached, but forced the people to follow into idol worship and move away from God. So as a punishment, God brought the Assyrians in. And by 722 B.C., the all ten tribes, had been taken out of the northern kingdom and had been dispersed among the nations uh, all into what is now Syria, Iraq, Iran, if you look at the map today, scattered all in there. But God will bring them back. He will bring them back miraculously uh, at the end of the tribulation. We know that. So they're not what people today call the lost ten tribes. We may not know where they all are right now, but there is one who does know and his name is God the Father Almighty. And I believe his word, he will bring them back. So it was the ten northern tribes that were taken captive. And what happened as part of that captivity is the Assyrians brought Gentiles, they were all Gentiles, brought Gentiles back into the northern kingdom area, the northern ten tribes, and interspersed the Gentiles with the Jews. And they became what were called Samaritans. Uh, you might, in a very broad sense, say well, they were half Jew, half Gentile. They were Samaritans. But in God's eyes, they were not Jews because they were still worshiping idols. So that is why he said in verse 5 of Matthew 10, do not go in the way of the Gentile nations and do not even go to the Samaritans because they are not whom I want to initially receive the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. 
I want it to be to the pure Israelites. And he says that specifically. Look at verse 6. But rather, rather than, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. And they were lost because they were an idol worship. And you can say geographically as well, but he's not sending them to Iraq. He's not sending them to Iran. Uh, geographically, places today we would recognize. He didn't say go to them. He's talking about the lost people there in the geographic area of Israel. Go to them with the good news of the gospel. And remember, what is the good news of the gospel now? It's just not the fact that I'm coming back as the king and the conqueror to run off the Romans and to set the uh, set Israel up in the same way that David, King David and King Solomon set it up and to be the most powerful country in the world such that all of the peoples of the world fear you. It's that, but there's also a righteous requirement. You have to believe who I am. You can't simply bring a sacrifice as as you had been doing uh, before and were continuing to do, frankly, because the temple was still in existence. You can't simply bring a sacrifice. This has to bring a sacrifice of the heart. You have to change your heart. You have to become, become humble before me in the knowledge of me. You have to become contrite, and you have to be a peacemaker, and you have to be willing to be persecuted. And that probably was the biggest sticker right there. You've got to be these things. So this is the message that the, God, that the apostles are taking out, that Jesus is still preaching, but he's now got the 12 assisting him with this um, with this effort, and it says in verse 7, as we go through 7 and 8 here, uh, as you go, talking to the 12 apostles, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And remember what we said it meant by the kingdom of heaven is at hand? It's the fact that Jesus is here. He's on the earth. He's in Israel, and he wants to set his kingdom up right now under these conditions. And again, those conditions uh, included uh, righteousness, morality, ethics, all that were outlined uh, by Jesus. And then in verse uh, 8, heal the sick. So they're continuing to draw the people using the tools given to them by Jesus, using the tools to draw people to them to listen to this good news gospel. Heal the sick, verse 8, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, Cast out demons, freely you received, freely you give. Nowhere in here, and I'll ask that, take that comment and ask you if you see it as we continue on in, in our next program or two, as we go through uh, the instructions to, Matt, uh, to the apostles in Matthew 10, nowhere do you see him talking about the death, burial, and resurrection. That is something that will come later when it's clear that the people of Israel the, Israel, the Jews of Israel, have turned their back on the Messiah that had been promised to them. So we'll get into that uh, a little further in Matthew 10 in our next program. But as we always do, it's time to, again, to go to our Q&A. And we are finishing up a question, who is not included in the rapture of the church? And 
we talked about the fact that the church, the, spe- the specific group of people known as the church, and this is a specific group within the 66 books of the Bible, the church was only in the New Testament. The church started at a point in time after Jesus had been on the earth and had been resurrected back to heaven. That 10 days after that happened, according to Acts, and specifically Acts chapter 2, the church was started and the church will be completed. It will be concluded and no one will be added to it once the rapture takes place. So it's a specific, finite group of people during a roughly 2,000-year period because I believe the church is going to be raptured pretty quickly, uh, not hundreds of years from now, that the church will be taken out, but they are not. That's the point we want to make. They are not the only righteous people in the history of the Bible. And we've been dealing uh, in the Scriptures, exploring the Scriptures to find out how God dealt with the other groups of righteous people that we find in the Bible. And we did that by looking at the Old Testament saints, um, Daniel 12, 1 and 2, that are resurrected to glorified bodies at the end of the tribulation. Then we talked about the yet future tribulation saints, those who come to faith in Jesus during the tribulation. It'll be a very, very difficult thing to do, uh, and they most likely will die for their faith. Most of them will die for their faith during the tribulation. So those people will be um, resurrected at the end of the tribulation when the Lord comes back to judge. So along with the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints will be resurrected to glorified bodies uh, at the end of the tribulation. And we studied that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Then we went to the two people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles that were living on the earth at the time of the second coming of Christ. And each one of them's is each one of those groups is judged, and the righteous ones in that judgment will walk into the millennial kingdom and will populate the earth for a thousand years during that thousand year reign of Christ on the earth, and the unrighteous in those judgments will be sent to Hades, waiting on the great white throne judgment, and we saw that with the Jews. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 to 38, and then a little more detail on that in Zechariah 13, 8, and 9. Then we move to the last group, uh, which are the Gentiles who are who survive the tribulation and stand before the Lord uh, as he sits on his glorious throne, as it says in Matthew 25, 31. And in preparation for talking about Matthew 25, in our, at the end of our last uh, program, we went to Joel chapter 3, verse 2, and it told us what this judgment of the Gentiles at the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, was all about. It was about Israel. It was about how they treated Israel during the tribulation. And if you think about it, if you're a Gentile in the tribulation and it's the second half of the tribulation because that's when Israel is really attacked brutally by the Antichrist because he has the power of Satan to go after them now. Satan has been kicked out of heaven at the midpoint of the tribulation. So there's three and a half years, the last half, where uh, the Antichrist is going mercilessly against Israel, looking to annihilate them, to completely wipe out all of Israel because if he can do that, then Jesus won't come back because only he will only come back 
when the Jews, no one else, when the Jews recognize him as the Messiah and plead for him to come back, and he will do it, and we know from the scriptures he will do it. This will happen. But it's all about how they treat the Jews. So if you're a Gentile and you see how very, very dangerous it is to support a Jew, to hide them, to feed them, to clothe them, to visit them in jail and so forth, as we'll read here in a moment in Matthew 25, that you have got to have a very, in my opinion anyway, you've got to have a very strong faith in who Jesus is and how you relate to him, that you're going to stick your proverbial (laughs) and literal neck out because it could be cut off to support the Jews. So you can see why Jesus blesses the righteous Gentiles. So let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25 is the last few parables that Jesus teaches to the Israelites as they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. It's called the Olivet Discourse, and it contains all of Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25. And this is the um, parable that's the last one, and it starts in verse 31. So let's take some time to read this, and we'll see how this flows, and then we'll comment uh, in our next program. Verse 31 of Matthew 25, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. So you see the relationship with Joel here. He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right to the sheep, Come you, you come you who are blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink I was a stranger and you invited me in naked you clothed me I was sick you visited me I was in prison uh, and you came to me then the righteous will answer him lord When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer them and say, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, to my Israeli brothers during the tribulation is what that's saying even the least of them, because you did it to them, you did it to me. Verse 41, then he will say also to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in, naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous, the sheep, into eternal life. 
We'll spend some time talking about this in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.